0: Welcome to the Richer Geek Podcast. We're here helping people find creative ways to build wealth and financial freedom. I'm Mike Stoller, and in this podcast, you'll hear from others who are already doing these things and learn how you can too. Hello, everyone. This is Mike Stoller, your host of the Richer Geek Podcast. As many of you know, I have owned or managed over 1,500 doors from single-family homes, multifamily, and hotels. I've received so many questions about how I transitioned from multifamily to hotels. I've been featured on some of our nation's largest podcasts. I've spoken at national conferences about hotel investing. How do you do it? What are the differences between multifamily and hotel investing? What about franchises? What did I learn during covid Well, ladies and gentlemen, I am excited to announce that I'll be having a Hotel Investor Workshop on May 5th and 6th of 2023. If you're interested in hotel investing, please come join us. You can sign up on our website, therichergeek.com, go to the bottom of the page and click on training. I'm hoping to see you all there. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Richer Geek podcast. Today, we have David Vernich. He's a commercial lender. He has uh, three decades of experience in the banking industry. And like a lot of us, uh, he partnered with other investors and decided to purchase real estate and begin his journey to generate passive income. You know, I know a lot of you are, are thinking about that. You're thinking, man, what can I do? How can I generate some of that passive income? Well, David now owns more than 100 homes in Tennessee, and he's passionate about helping others. We're going to talk a little bit about his journey and his new book, Middle Class to Millionaire. How are you doing, David?
1: I'm doing great, Michael. How are you doing today?
0: Perfect. What's the weather like in Nashville? It
1: is beautiful fall weather, no humidity, 74 degrees. It doesn't get any better than this. Oh,
0: perfect. (laughs) Well, it's Scottsdale. You know, I love it. It's finally (laughs) under 100 degrees. Oh, Yeah. Um, no humidity. Um, the cactus here don't turn color, so it's they're still <laughs> green. <laughs> but uh, I'm in my place up in Sholo, up in the mountains, so uh, I'm getting some some nice uh, winter fall weather. It's about 45 degrees, so we're we're having fun up here. Very um, nice. So, you're a commercial lender. You're probably seeing a lot of people in the banking industry, you know, in, in your time doing things with real estate and learning. And you're probably looking at all these these loans that you're giving up, giving out and you're thinking, why can't I do some of that? Is that how it started? You know, tell me a little bit about your background.
1: It kind of started that way, but uh, not exactly because I knew I couldn't do real estate because I'm, I'm two thumbs, you know, I'm the proverbial, my favorite uh, tool in the tool belt is the checkbook, you know, <laughs> I'd rather pay somebody else to do the work. But uh, I did realize at 45, when I, I I use the analogy in the book that uh, we all have about a 40 year working career, if you count from age 25, roughly to age 65. Mm -hmm. And so at age 45, I'm at my halfway point. So I'm kind of running into the, you know, the locker room for my halftime adjustments, Mm -hmm. but not having really looked at the score, but listening to, financial planners and other people tell me what I should be doing, you know, coaching me from the sidelines for quarter one and two, but never looking at the scoreboard. Well, I go inside the locker room and look at the scoreboard and I'm like, you know what? If I do exactly what I've done the last two quarters, I'm going to lose this game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I even make the joke that um, in the book that if if I don't make a change on this really quick, I'm going to have to live in a van down by the river like Chris Farley <laughs> and Saturday Night Live only I'm not a very good motivational speaker. So I got, I got a problem.
0: <laughs> yeah, there you go. Now, you know, what is it that a lot of our listeners are also, they're starting to realize, um, you know, the 401k is just not going to do it, especially no. as uh who knows what the inflation, the economy, you know, uh, everybody is, we're, we're doing this right now. It's uh, November 1st. And um you know, so we're all kind of worried about what's going to happen and whether or not the 401k is even going to be taxed in the future, you know, just all this sort of stuff. Um, how, how can, what was it about you and your your realization about your 401k and, and what can you tell all the others, you know, especially now, you know, spend a few years for you, but now with just all this, who knows, you know.
1: Well, that's the problem is um, you make projections based on what you know today, but what's going to bite you in the butt is what you don't know that's coming down the pike tomorrow. Mm. And so you do the best you can with the knowledge you have. And what I was doing at that halftime was essentially taking where I was after 20 years and doing some projections for 20 more years, mm. assuming you know inflation rates, assuming what the mar- market was going to do, assuming how much I was going to put in. And then when you take all those calculations and put it on a spreadsheet and then you look at that pile of money at the end and say i'm going to supposed to live on four percent of this conservatively right and four percent of the million dollars is forty thousand dollars and like this is pathetic Mm -hmm. you know this forty thousand dollars is all you get and very few people even come up with the million dollars so it's like that's the best case scenario for a lot of people And so what you're seeing now for a lot of these financial planners is, oh, no, no, you can't do it on a million. You got to do it on 2 million now. Mm -hmm. Well, if you can't do a million, you're not going to do 2 million. I hate to Mm -hmm. tell you this. So essentially it comes down to the math doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And this only works for extremely high income earners who live way below their means and sock away a ton of money regardless of what the market does. And that's a very small segment of the population.
0: Yeah, and that that, that doesn't sound like fun either. It's not fun. <laughs> no, that doesn't sound like. fun. Because you no. also are
1: supposed to wait until you're what sixty five or sixty seven to start drawing money out. Yeah, and some people don't even live that long.
0: Right. You hope your health <laughs> is. You don't believe how many people that I know that I've that I've seen at the clubs and, and they just kind of disappear and they're like, Hey, you know, where is this guy? Well, he just retired. He's five years out of retirement, and uh, you know, he, he got ill. Yep. And you're like, man, why wait? You know, so, you know, talk to us about, most of us have heard this. What's your definition of, it, we, we keep talking about this um, over and over in different podcasts, passive income. Mm-hmm. Why is that the way that you want to do it? Other than saving money for a rainy day type of a thing. You know, what is it about passive income?
1: Well, passive income by definition is something that you can probably put a little bit of time into, but get paid on that into the future. That's mm-hmm. my definition. So it's not it's not something that doesn't require any of your time, but if it's mm-hmm. done correctly, you're leveraging by doing something once or very infrequently, you're getting paid over and over again. Mm-hmm. And so people can clearly understand the concept of owning a rental house. Uh, you can't just own it rent it and leave for 20 years. You can't do that. But you can rent it out. And then if they pay the rent next month, go cash the check, and then wait till the next month. How much time did you spend very little. Mm -hmm. So you're getting rewarded, outsized rewards for the amount of time you're putting in. So the way I do real estate investing with my partners, my part in the team requires, you know, bringing the capital to the table, either Throughout for whatever sources of capital that they need, and so typically, my one from beginning to end, my involvement is about 15 minutes mm-hmm. of finding the money. Now, it took me 30 plus years of networking and so forth to get to that point. I'll admit that, but once I did do that, and I only have to spend 15 minutes on my part, and then I receive my income stream as long as there's a renter that's paying and there's a positive mm-hmm. cash flow. So that's really the beauty of passive income.
0: Now, how do you get your partners? Do you do limited partnerships? Do you do syndications? Do you do, you know, how do you go about your, with your partners?
1: So typically I do one of two things. When I first started off, I had a mentor that taught me the business and I didn't want to do the business. I just wanted to learn the business. So I wanted to figure out where I added value. And the only thing I thought I I thought I could do things like find the properties. And then I realized I was bad at that too. I knew I was bad at fixing up the properties. That was off the table, but I did one. I have said, I've done one to realize and confirm, I, yes, I actually am bad at this and I don't want to do this. And then I also had strong suspicions. I didn't want to deal with you know, the property management side. So that pretty much left me with only one thing and that is financing. And which is good because that was my day job. It was also my strength. And a lot of people get frustrated in real estate because the the number one thing that keeps most people from getting into real estate is they don't have the money.
0: That's true. They don't have the money and uh, they don't have the time. So they don't right. think that they can do it. Or they have a friend of a friend who had a bad experience and like, oh, no, I'm not going to do that because somebody did something, you know, a um, bunch of excuses, aren't there?
1: Yeah. I mean, I had about 10 years worth of excuses before I got in, <laughs> but at the end of the day, <laughs> Every single road was led to the one inescapable conclusion, which was: Have you tried real estate? No. You know people that are successful in real estate. Yes. Get some mentoring so that you can figure out how they do it, and mm-hmm. then what what value do you bring to the equation? Because nobody's just going to show up and give you money.
0: Did you have um, like a, a big time mentor that you know a program or something that you did, or is it just something new?
1: It was somebody new. It was like one of my former customers at a bank. Mm-hmm. I've worked for several banks and mm-hmm. every <clears throat> time I get bought out by a bigger bank, I tend to leave to go to a smaller bank because I don't like the bureaucracy of large banks. Mm-hmm. And this was actually an old customer that I kind of lost track of, and so when I really got serious, I found somebody that knew where they were that tracked them down, and they actually had a little local program they had put together uh to teach people how to do what they did.
0: Mm-hmm yeah that's very good it's one of the things that we really need you know ladies and gentlemen and you know i'm sure david can would attest to this is don't do it yourself <laughs> um get a mentor get uh coaches and you know again you know when i first started out in real estate uh, i failed miserably absolutely failed and it wasn't until but you know i did it i called the the pre google days I couldn't, there was no podcast, there was no internet for me to figure it out, but it didn't, it, it, I had to wait until I've got that mentor and got those coaches to say, ah, this is how you do it. Um, And it was a life changing. Now, you know, digging into your book and uh, again, everyone, the the book is middle class to millionaire and it's making the leap to the next level. And I think that's something that we all want to do. And especially, even if you're a millionaire now with the W2, the, I think the goal for all of us is to get to that millionaire status as a passive investor. You know, I, I can, I don't ever have to retire because I don't have a W2 and I don't work for anyone else. Um, I just have other people working for me and I can do that till I'm 80. You know, I think that is is all of our goals. Um, but some of the questions that's in your book, you talk about how your house and most people think this, your house is not an asset you say um why is that and why isn't home an asset and but can it become one
1: uh the answer is it depends on what your definition of asset is now and I'm you know I've been a banker for 38 years and they don't teach you anything in banking that uh you know they they obviously will look at a financial statement and say your your the value of your house is on the asset side of the balance sheet and the mortgage is on the liability side which is fine That is true. So that, you know, when you do go to the bank, that's how you properly show that. However, for our purposes, we want to know are we going to be able to retire comfortably? And if you're putting all your money into a house that you live in, then there's no way you can pull money out of that house except for two ways. You borrow against it, in which case you have debt and you got to pay that back. Or, you sell it in which case you don't have a house anymore you know you're homeless but then you have to take that money and probably go buy another one so mm. the definition of the asset is something that puts money in your pocket and so the house is not putting money in your pocket even when it's paid for you have to pay insurance repairs maintenance tax property taxes so really i i i try to pull that out of people's financial statements because a lot of times unfortunately it's the number one The equity in their home is their number one asset as far as percentage of their total assets. And when you pull that out, suddenly you just made them feel extremely uh, weak.
0: (laughs) Yes. You know, know, so many people talk about house hacking. Um, You know, if you want to be smart, I tell the 20-some-year-olds, 30-some-year-olds, buy a duplex, right? Oh, yeah. Live, Live in half of it.
1: That'd be perfect. I mean, my perfect. son did that. I mean, that was one of the side benefits of me getting into the real estate with my partners is when my oldest son graduated from school and got a job and qualified for his own mortgage. You know, his hang up was he didn't have the down payment. Well, the particular house he was looking at, I owned 25% of it. There's his down payment. So we just had to pay off the other partners using his mortgage. Well, he bought a four bedroom house and he was a single guy at the time. And I even I didn't understand what he was doing. And I said, what are you buying a big house for? You don't need that. And he goes, dad, I'm going to rent out the other three bedrooms to my buddies and they're going to pay my mortgage. And I'm like, ah, uh, just way to go, Pottywan. You've learned well.
0: <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, I, I mean, that's perfect, everyone. You know, I mean, that is how you hack, you know, think outside the box. This is how you save and make money. Um While living in your house. I mean, it's just you have to get outside and think, how can I do this? How can I make money off of anything that I buy, especially an asset as large as a house. Now, let's talk about, you know, I hit on a little bit, you know, this, this, the height of the housing, um, this inflation crisis. Um, what do you talk to, you know, tell all these people, it's like, oh, hey, look, I can't do it now. You know, It's too expensive. Um, how can we stay motivated and say, look, I want to get into it, but uh, I have to wait till the market drops or I have to, you know, these excuses that they have. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, if you're buying for cash flow and you can find something that cash flows now, it really doesn't affect, you know, you're 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 talking about two different things. So there's cash flow, then there's appreciation. Mm-hmm. And really, appreciation happens, the market kind of gives it and it also takes it away. Mm-hmm. But if you're always looking for some things that cash flow, then you always have the time to wait for the appreciation to kick in. It's when people get solely focused on the appreciation of the property that they're willing to either lose money or barely break even, that they get impatient and say, oh, this doesn't work. But if you're always buying for cash flow and it cash flows, there's no reason for you to sell something until mm-hmm. you're making good money on it.
0: Exactly. You know, I mean, you just, you hit the, the nail on the head there. Um, I love it. Not too many people will actually say it the way that you said it. Um, you always tell me, I don't care what it costs. You know, it's like, oh, the house costs 400000 instead of two fifty, you know, like it was eight years ago. Yeah, well, you know what? Rents have gone up, too, and I can still cash flow. And as yeah. long as you're cash flowing, you never need to sell, right?
1: Well, and nobody can really pick the absolute bottom of the market. You know, you don't know the bottom until it's you're out of the bottom, right? Because it's in the rearview mirror, and nobody sells it typically at the top of the market. So it's just kind of like the stock market in the sense that if you're buying all along, you're kind of dollar cost averaging into the housing market. And then as things go back up, you're selling things when the, you know, we've, we sold a house uh, when the market was super, super hot that we had bought and paid cash for, um, I think we had 90,000 into it. And nine years later, we sold it for $280,000 mm-hmm. and they didn't even want the house. They wanted the lot. So, you know, uh, we couldn't have predicted that, but that's, that's how what uh, things that come on your way. You can't. So people say, I'm going to wait. And they say this all the time. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. And it's like, yes, mm-hmm. but if you don't have a, a stable of inventory to sell when times are good, if you're just getting started, then you're, then when times do turn around and get good, you're playing catch up. -hmm. You know, you're playing catch up to everybody that already has inventory that's already ready to sell. And you're sitting there saying, Oh, I need to jump in at the exact wrong time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's correct. You know, it's that's an excuse, right? Well, I have to wait for this. Well, when that day comes, well, I have to wait for this. Oh, I need one more (laughs) seminar. Well, I need, you know, there's just as soon as I go to five more seminars, I'll have the knowledge. Um, Oh, my gosh. You know, just do it. Right. Yes. It's, Um, it's,
1: it's to me it's the who not how principle everybody's trying to figure out how how i can do it versus you know who do i need to align myself with that can take some of the burden and some of the risk off my back you know because a lot yeah. of people literally a house is their largest single investment they ever make and so they're worried maybe rightfully so if it's their first one that if i mess this up this is a lot of money that i could lose
0: mm-hmm.
1: but i come back to say what other investment is there that you can buy and virtually get your money back out. If you only make, make, don't make one mistake, don't overpay. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you know that this is the value of something in this market and you're right, and you've gotten that confirmed, not through Zillow or Redfin, but Mm -hmm. you know, from local real estate, professional real estate investors, or, you know, that's a deal. You should buy that house because you can always get a house for a deal in any market. And once you find that house and buy it, if you, do make a mistake, the bottom line is somebody else will probably pay you for what you bought it for if the value is still there.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, everyone likes to know who else is doing this. Um, Do you have any examples of like any type of public figures or some of the things that they've been successful at passive income? Any examples?
1: Well, I mean, public figures are you know, you've got every guru out there that's selling a course that's gonna tell you what they can do. So there's, you know, a lot of people that do and that. some of them
0: did it once and they think they know how to do it also. So there's also Yeah. Those.
1: They're making their money by essentially, you know, trying to sell the the secret sauce per se. The secret sauce is basically hard work and it's four steps. You gotta find the house, you gotta finance it, you gotta fix it up, and then you gotta either flip it or fool with the renter one of those those are the four steps and so it's like there you got the recipe now go do it right mm-hmm. but it's easier said than done and really what it comes down to is there's the deer in the headlights you now i'm scared i uh, you know i don't want to make a mistake there's the i mm-hmm. fear debt i fear the horror stories i've heard there's always these excuses and ultimately i had all those same fears and excuses and you probably did too mm-hmm. at, to some extent but what you how do you overcome any kind of fear is you face the fear You literally say, what can I do to mitigate the fear that I'm having? And so if you're fearful that I'm going to lose a lot of money, then partner with people and take a smaller percentage of the deal, you know, yeah, just only be able to risk what you think you're, and then at the end of the day, when you realize, oops, I didn't really have much to risk at all. And in fact, I didn't lose any money. I made money. What's taken me so long to figure this out, you know, and you kick yourself for sitting on the sidelines for so long.
0: Yes, I kick. Oh, my God, I've kicked myself so many times. <laughs> oh, if I'd only done this and not be scared. Um, but oh, my gosh, yes. Uh, <laughs> but I'm not going to live in the past. No. Um, you know, so what, what do you do? And you made a great point, David. Um, partner with someone that knows how to do it. Partner with David. Partner with someone that knows how to do it and have them teach you, have them show you. Uh, And that will give you the confidence in order to, you know, go out and do it yourself, you know, to uh, get your own little investment group together and do it. And then you too can also own sometime someday, a hundred homes like David. Um, (laughs) Now, do you do, are are all your homes rentals or do you do any like lease to owns or are they all flat out rentals?
1: We do some lease to purchase as well, but I would say the majority are long-term leases. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, you know, I've done both. i like the the lease to own, you know, you have the option of the lease and then the option. Right. Right. Those types of things. And yeah, uh, you'll,
1: you'll always find a lot of people that would love to own a home, but just can't qualify for a mortgage for whatever reason. So it's really in in certain markets and certain times you can really be in a slow market that things aren't moving, but you've got a whole untapped market of people that as soon as they see lease to own, I mean, they're lining out the door saying, you know, how much money do I have to put down to be able to get, that deal,
0: Yeah. Yeah. Those are, those are good deals. There's a lot of people with medical debt that wasn't in there. They have great jobs. They have great incomes. Someone in their family had bad medical debt. It ruined their credit, but they qualify, you know, banks won't give them a loan. And guess what? You you can give them an option. Um, so we, we've been talking about all this passive income. We've been talking about, you know, a little bit about your book. What are some of the ways, things that are in your book that you can, um, that people can act, you know, change, add to their savings, withdraw it, get a house, uh, plus still plan for the retirement. You know, there's this whole juggling type of a thing. Mm -hmm. Um, What are some of the the priorities, you know, still saving, still spending, you know, a house is is, is a big thing, a rental. Right. How do they juggle all that?
1: Well, it's not, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's not exactly, you know, if you're living paycheck to paycheck, it's probably not something you should do until you really get your financial house a little bit in order and it'll be stabilized. Kind of like uh, the old thing with the airplanes when the oxygen masks fall down, you know, put, put it on you first because you're no good if you're wheezing and trying to put it on somebody else and you're both die. Right. So you can't really save anybody until you've had your in in a good situation yourself financially. Having said that, you know I the very first house I did was in two thousand seven, and I didn't have a hundred thousand dollars in my checking account, mm-hmm. but what I did have was I had a W two job, I had clean credit, mm-hmm. and I knew bankers that were friends of mine that had the lending authority of a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> so as long as I could approach them and say, look, here's what I'm going to do with the money. I'm going to buy a house. I'm going to fix it up. I either going to sell it and pay your loan off, or I'm going to you know, put a renter in there and then I'll come back and get a mortgage on the house and you can have the mortgage. That's how I got started. I didn't have the cash. I had the borrowing capacity, but what I, what it caused me from not doing that before is I was I didn't know what I was doing, so I was scared I was going to mess it up. What gave me the confidence to do it was partnering with my mentors who had 14 years experience, 144 houses. They had a full-time maintenance man, a full-time property manager. They had the infrastructure and the system in place, so I knew that if they were looking over my shoulder and that they were kind of blessing every step along the way, that it was basically paint by numbers in real estate investing, you know, just stay in the lines and you won't get hurt. And it worked out perfectly.
0: And people don't, they don't realize you don't need a whole lot of money to get your first investment real estate, do you? You know, so depending on the market you're in, (laughs) it's different. If you're in California or you're in Arizona, you know, where uh, the houses is skyrocketing, but if you're in the Midwest, um, you know, under $50,000 to, to get started and you can probably get enough people gathered to get $50,000. Is that right?
1: Well, plus there's people that do this for a living called hard money lenders. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't use them for permanent loans, but for bridge loans, if you can turn the property quickly and get, you know, what banks don't want, they don't want you coming to them with a, a beat up junky empty house and say, I want to borrow money to buy this house. And then having you know, and not enough income to support the payment. What they want to do and what I suggest people do is have the investment dollars come in on the front end, whether that's through hard money, whether that's home equity line of credit, self-directed IRA or HSA cash, even you know, 0% credit cards because they're short-term loans, get the house, fix it up, put a tenant in there. Now you got a lease. Now go to the bank and they'll talk to you because you got a fixed up house that will appraise for more than you paid for it and then turn that money out from a refi to pay off the hard money or whoever you had to use to get into the house.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's perfect. And, and, and that is true. You know, you use what you need. You know, I I, I know a guy that does it via credit card um, down payment and fix up. He does it on his credit card re uh gets the house appraised re you know finances it pays off his credit card debt and i'm like that's a little bit too risky for me but it works for him yeah. um but he does it that's the thing is he does it uh something in your book you talk about the money scoreboard what is that
1: uh the money scoreboard is essentially uh anybody can picture it. the metaphor i used at the beginning of our conversation was the halftime for 40 years you know Okay. The, so the money scoreboard is everybody starts with the scoreboard. When you get out of school, you get your first full-time job. If you don't count anything for passive income, you got a big zero. That's on one section of the board. Okay. You got, that's your offense. You better start scoring on the defensive side of the board. You've got your expenses, your living expenses. So if you made $50,000 a year and you saved, let's say 10% of that, that means you got $45,000 you're spending. That's your, that's your expense side. So essentially, the goal is to rack up some points on the passive income side to surpass on the expense side. Mm
0: -hmm. Perfect. Um, What else would you like to hit on? You know, we've hit a lot about the middle class to millionaire. Where can they find it? And also, uh, where can they find you?
1: Uh, Middle Class to Millionaire is on Amazon, so Amazon or Kindle, and it will be on Audible soon. I just finished the recording, so that's why my th- voice is probably a little scratchy. <laughs> um, and then, as far as hooking with me, I'm I'm not your typical guru trying to sell a course. But if they did want to c- connect with me, my audience typically are W two and self employed people that are busy professionals that have you know incomes or ability to borrow or good credit that they want to get in real estate through the team approach. And so those people are generally on LinkedIn. So I'm on LinkedIn. So if you want to hook up with me through LinkedIn um, and say, hi, that you heard me on the podcast here, then I will be glad to send you a copy of my book for free, a PDF copy.
0: Perfect to hear that, everyone. This is David Vernich, middle-class millionaire. Get him on LinkedIn. I know you're on LinkedIn. Tell me you found him on the Richer Geek. And you get middle class to millionaire for free, when you don't have to go to Amazon. That's right, David. I appreciate you coming on today. Be blessed and uh, good luck with the real estate investing.
1: Thank you, Michael. Same to you, and enjoy that uh, winter weather in Arizona. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I'm going back down to the valley in the Phoenix Scottsdale area here in a couple of days. It's getting cold up here. Yeah. Take care. Well, enjoy. Thanks for tuning in to the Richer Geek podcast where we're helping others find creative ways to build wealth and financial freedom for today's show notes, including all the links and resources from our show and more information about our guests, visit us at www.therichardgeek.com podcast. And don't forget to jump over to Apple podcasts, Google play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button share with others who could benefit from listening and leave a rating and review to get the podcast in front of more eyes i appreciate you and thanks for listening